Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to have the privilege of sharing from the Word of the Lord with you today. So John Wesley is one of the great English revivalists and church leaders. is reported to have said that God does nothing but in answer to prayer. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And I think there's a whole lot of truth to that statement. I think God can do what he wants at any time he wants. But it seems that God has so chosen that he cooperates and works with us and wants us to pray. And so this morning we're going to focus on a specific aspect of prayer. The, the title of my message this morning is Father Knows Growing in Prayer. And to do that we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 6 where the song that we sang is recorded for us earlier, the Lord's Prayer. So if you have a device or a Bible, won't you open it so long at Matthew chapter 6, we'll, we'll get into that shortly. About a month ago now, a number of us of the church leaders were away just praying and seeking and hearing from God around, you know, how we're doing and where we're going with our vision and how to uh, respond to and face some challenges we're facing. And, you know, we were in those process of discussion and deliberating and considering options. And then God arrived, as he often does, and he spoke to us so clearly, and he said, it's time to pray. It's time to call a season of prayer. And so in the last few weeks, we've made a number of invitations to you and to our family and those online also just to join us in prayer because God has called us to pray. And we were so reminded at that time that so much of what God has done in Hatfield in many years since the 60s has always been birthed in prayer. You know, some of the legendary stories is one of our previous senior pastors, Pastor Ed Raybert, that he and a friend would go up behind the union buildings, I think most mornings in a week, and pray for the city of Pretoria on Mankey's Corp. And that led to a move of what God did in Hatfield as we entered the charismatic movement in the 60s and 70s and even through to this day. How's that? We've been part of the charismatic movement, pursuing the gifts of the Holy Spirit and been filled with the Holy Spirit for 50 years plus now. How's that, eh? Not bad. But things like that are birthed in prayer. And so it's a season to pray. Now, I'm also aware in a room this size and with a number of people in the room and those watching that there's probably a wide range of prayer. I'm, I'm sure there's some prayer warriors in here. You're up at three o'clock every morning interceding and praying in tongues. And, you know, if anything twitches, I'm so sorry. If anything twitches on your horizon, it's prayed for. I'm, I'm aware that there's probably those in the room who, you know, if you can get five minutes of prayer and in the week, you you feel like you've arrived. And so matter your experience and your range of prayer, I believe there's something for us just to see and to be refreshed on today. I'm not a specific prayer warrior. I wasn't assigned to or invited to, assigned to preach this message because I'm like up at four every morning praying. I pray enough. I pray a lot. Um, but even about 18 months ago when I went on holiday, I actually took a book with on prayer because I felt it was an area in my life that needed to grow and to develop. And so we're all learning no matter where you are in your journey to pray. So I plan to teach a bit, and then I plan to pray a bit uh, in a specific way that the Lord's asked me to, and then if there's time a bit at the end, we'll come back to some teaching. We want to read the first verse in Matthew chapter 6, uh, and hopefully you're there and, and ready to read, uh, because Jesus sets in this first verse a general principle that is very important for us to understand if we want to understand the, the rest of the teaching on prayer that comes a bit later in this chapter. And so Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 as part of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And that's the very important phrase. Be careful not to practice your act of right, acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's quite serious for Jesus to say that. Now, it's quite interesting if we look at Matthew chapter 6, there's a very specific structure that Matthew employs in the book. He, he gives us this first verse as a general principle, don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men. And then he talks about three practices of our faith, three acts of righteousness. The first one is almsgiving or giving to the poor. That follows immediately after this verse. When you give to the poor, don't do it in public, do it in secret so that your father can reward you. He talks about prayer, which we're gonna focus on today. And then after prayer, he talks about fasting. When you fast, don't do it for public recognition or acclaim, but do it in secret. So this general principle is applied in Matthew 6 in three specific examples for us. And so what Jesus is really after here is that there's a matter of motive. It's a matter of motive that when we pray, when we fast, when we do giving to the needy or any kind of giving, when we practice our righteousness, when we practice our faith, that we do not do it for human recognition or for human approval or reward. We do it as unto the Lord. That's the principle that Jesus taught us. And so let's move down in Matthew chapter 6 to verse 5, where Jesus specifically talks and teaches on prayer for us. And we're going to read the text will come up on the screen. We're going to read through the entire passage, and then we'll come back and we'll just comment on a few sections of it. So let's uh, read as you're comfortable. I'm going to uh, just lead us in reading it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. It's illustrating the principle. Truly I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees all that is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We might pick up some additional verses in a while, but I want to just uh, create a foundation and say just five general principles from this section that we've read. Firstly, and interestingly, and quite shockingly, there is a wrong way to pray that does not please God. How about that? Not all prayer is good. Jesus very clearly says twice in this passage, do not be like, do not be like. There is a wrong way to pray that does not please God. And he uses two examples. The first one's in verse five, where he says, do not be like the hypocrites. Now these would be the Jewish people most likely, the, the religious insiders, those who actually had true knowledge of God, those who knew who God was and what he was really like. They'd had the Old Testament, they knew the teachings. But when they pray, they're not praying to talk to God. They're praying to be recognized by people. They're not praying to talk to God and to be heard by God. They're praying for public acclaim and public recognition. And Jesus very clearly says, well, if that's what you want when you pray, then you're already rewarded. That's all you're going to get. Your people will notice you in that sense. And so the hypocrites, although they know better, they pray. It looks like they're praying to talk to God, but actually they're praying so that everyone else 
realizes that they're the ones praying. So they're going for public recognition or acclaim. The second group of people that we must not be like is in verse 7. Uh, Matthew in the NIV records them as the pagans. These would be the religious outsiders, those who, don't, or who are not Jewish people. And very clearly, yeah, Matthew and Jesus are referring to the Gentiles, those who in the first century will do not part of the faith, who did not know what God was really like. In fact, they had a certain view of their gods, whether they were the Greek or the Roman gods or some other um, mystery religion that they were following. They didn't know what the gods were like. They thought the gods were distant. They thought the gods were angry. They thought you had to twist the gods' arms to get what you want. And very interestingly, in verse 7, Jesus says it's like they babble all the time. They just jibber-jibber, you know, jibber-jabber as they talk all the time, because they've got many words, because they think that they have to harass the God, the gods. In fact, they're like God brotherers. They just, they think that they can twist the God's arms by saying a lot and saying it over and over and over just with mindless repetition. And so they did not know who they were praying to in that sense. They believed that the gods had to be harassed to turn their attention to them. So a lot of vain repetitions in their praying. And so when we pray, what Jesus is saying is we don't pray to posture ourselves before others. We pray to talk to our heavenly Father. We talk to God and not to others. Uh, When I was younger and much foolish and far less kind, uh, I once prayed somewhere in public and uh, someone came after me and said that was such a great prayer. And uh, I looked at them and I said, well, I wasn't talking to you. Which is true, I wasn't. And when we pray, we do talk to God, but um, I wish I was more loving and kind in that situation. When we pray, we do talk to God and not to, to others in that sense. Okay, so there's a wrong way to pray. When we pray for public recognition, that doesn't please God. All right. I do want to also say, secondly, that Jesus is not against public prayer. He does say in verse six, so when you pray, go into your room and your father who sees everything and who is in secret, knows what you pray in secret, he will reward you. Rather do that than go for the human recognition, I think is what Jesus is saying. Rather pray privately than get the public, go for public acclaim, rather do that. But we know that that's not what Jesus, Jesus is not saying that's the only way to pray. We know this because Jesus prayed both in public and he prayed in private. Jesus prayed alone with God and he also prayed together with others. And so Jesus is not against public prayer. We ought to pray together and we ought to pray in private. But rather in private than if you're going for public recognition. If there's something in your heart, there's a motive matter in your heart that needs attention. Prayer is something between you and God. So not against public prayer. Very important phrase, which actually led to the title of this message, is in verse 8, which says that your Father knows what you have need of before you pray. Always. Always, always, and if you're in the gallery, always, 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 remember who you're praying to. You're praying to the Father who knows you and sees you. You're praying to the Father, God the Father, who is interested in you. You're praying to God the Father who is for you. You sang it earlier, now you've got to believe it. He is for you. When you come to the Father in prayer, you're not there to twist his arm. You're not there to babble. You're not there to repeat it over and over and over just so that you can get what you're praying for. He is for you. And when we pray, this is so important to remember. I was once wrestling with, I was praying something and 
wasn't happening. It wasn't working out like I wanted. God's answer was obviously no, because he knew what's good for me ultimately. And I remember praying and praying, and nothing's happening, and my heart was becoming despondent. And God had to send someone to me with a prophetic word, because I was so wrapped up in myself, I think, at the time. And the person came to me, and he said, God wants you to know that he's heard every prayer you've prayed. And I want you to hear that this morning, too. God has heard every prayer that you've prayed. No prayer you've prayed is in vain, but sometimes the answer is no. Always remember who you're praying to. Your father knows. In fact, he knows better than you know what you need before you even need it. He is truly and deeply for you. Now, you might say, well, if he knows it all in advance, why must I pray? Because it's about relationship. I know my wife loves me, but it's really nice when she says it out loud. To me, not to you. Okay. <laughs> My wife knows I love her, but it's really helpful and useful for her to know that when I say it out loud, and not just on the day we got married, frequently, okay? Just for the men, you need to say it more than once, okay? A day, preferably. So we pray, not because God doesn't know what we need or want. We pray because sometimes just saying it out loud is what builds the relationship. It's what builds the trust. It's what actually sometimes helps us to recognize out loud what's in our hearts, especially if we pray like they so often pray in the Psalms, when we're deeply honest and we bear our emotions to God. In fact, that book that I mentioned reading earlier said the more honest you are in your prayer, the probably the better your prayer life is gonna be. So just don't be shy to tell God how you're feeling because sometimes it's for you. And in this sense, sometimes prayer is more about us, for us to see what's going on in ourselves than what it is for God to know. He already knows but trust and relationship and intimacy are built when we actually verbalize or sometimes say the things out loud. And sometimes it's like for those of us who have children, we, you know they've done something wrong. I don't know if you've ever done this as a parent, but I haven't. I'm just waiting for them to come tell me, not because I don't know, but because it's good for them to learn and to come and tell me and to recognize that when they tell me, I'm still gonna love them and accept them. So the knowing isn't so determinative here. But your Father knows. Whatever you have need of, whatever you're facing, whatever challenge, whatever thoughts are pestering you, whatever trials you are facing, whatever testing you are going through, whatever temptation is trying to pull you down, your Father knows. Very important that you remember that. Two more, and then I want to work through the prayer itself. The prayer that we're going to read from verse 9 onwards is important to understand that our Father, or the Lord's Prayer, as we often call it, it's a community prayer. It's interesting that it starts with our, not my. We don't pray my father, we pray our father. We say, forgive us our sins, not forgive me. Now, there's always the individual application. We understand that. But it is a prayer that Jesus intended to be prayed together, together as families, together as communities of believers, together as larger congregations. It is a community prayer. And then I think what's also important in this prayer, lastly, just by way of introduction, is also to say that in this prayer, Jesus gives us a pattern, not a formula. He gives us a pattern to pray, uh, not a formula. What do I mean by formula? I don't think he, the exact words are that important, uh, largely because none of us would pray in Aramaic or Greek. Those would be the exact words recorded. But it's the pattern that's followed. And you'll see the pattern is very clear in, this, in the, 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 the prayer. There's almost two parts. Part number one is that there's, it's about God and a focus on God. And then the second part, it's about us and our needs. So you start with God and then you move to yourself. 
That's the important pattern. There's some things more detailed in that pattern which we're going to unpack shortly. But it's a pattern, not a formula. Because sometimes I'm of the age where we still, when we were at school, we used to pray the Lord's Prayer every time we had an assembly. Anybody else? Okay. Now, how many times did you say it and you meant every single word and paid attention to it? You see, if we're honest, when, particularly when we were children, it was just babbling and vain repetition, like the pagans did. We just recited the words because that's what we did. It's just as good as the pagans then, in that sense. But when we add faith and understanding and insight to these words, it becomes a valuable pattern for prayer. So it's not about the mindless recitation of the prayer. It's actually about involving our hearts and minds actively as we look through the words. And so, by the way, just uh, if I may recommend a very helpful resource, if you want to know more around the Lord's Prayer that we're going to look at now, is a great book by R.T. Kendall called The Lord's Prayer. Uh, very helpful. My sermon's not completely based on it. I, I did reread it yesterday as I was finalizing my preparation. Uh, but uh, very accessible, very fairly priced on whatever e-reading platform you might be on. I'm sure most Christian bookstores. But this unpacks the Lord's Prayer really, really well. So if you want like, more teaching on the prayer, um, please, there's a really great resource that's accessible. Now what I would normally have done as we go on from verse uh, 9 onwards in the prayer is if, I, if it were, and it was actually how I planned to preach, was to take each phrase and then uh, expand on it a little bit, expound, say what I think the text is saying and so on. But last night as I was finalizing my preparation and just preparing finally for today, I felt the Lord asked me to do something a bit different. Is that okay? If I had to label it, I think what the Lord asked me to do is to pray this prayer exegetically. Have you ever heard of exegetical prayer? Me neither. So I'm going to go for it anyway. First time I thought of it was uh, last night. And so what, I've, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and pray this prayer following the pattern, but comment on the text as I go. So if you'll excuse me, I'm going to talk to God, because when you pray, you talk to God. But I'm also mindful that you're listening. Is that okay? So I might be a little bit more explanatory. Have you ever listened to some people pray when you know they're not talking to God, they're talking to you? <laughs> Lord, I'm so mindful of this brother or this sister. Help them to remember they're not talking to God, talking to you. So, so just, just to be up, that's not what I'm doing now. Is that okay? But I felt the Lord asked me to pray this prayer. But as I pray, I'm going to comment. But, as, and, but talking to God. Is that okay? So this is a prayer that we're going to do. It's going to take a couple of minutes because we all, if you're going to be part of it. Um, and maybe as I'm praying, something starts moving in your spirit. Maybe as I'm praying, something moves in your heart or you mind, in your mind, then you start praying. Not loud enough to distract the people around you, but talk to God. Is that okay? So jump in any time for yourself as you feel moved by the Spirit. So I'm going to pray and try and follow the pattern and then just comment as we go. It's going to be difficult for me because I normally pray with my eyes closed, but I'll try and be a little bit more polite. Is that okay? Okay. So... Our Father in heaven, thank you that I can call you Father. Thank you that this was something new that Jesus did for us. You were known as a Father in the Old Testament, but nobody called you Father. But Jesus came and he said, we can pray and we can call you Father. He said that you're his Father and our Father. And so when he tells us to pray, he says, start by saying, you're our Father. So I thank you. Father, for the privilege of calling you that, for being part of your family, for being adopted into your family. Thank you that it's really true, true what you said in 
John chapter one, that to those who believed on you, you gave the right to be called the children of God. And so I can call you Father with freedom and with boldness. Thank you. But Father, I'm also mindful that there are those even in this room and those listening who can't call you Father because they've never become your child. I know that you're the creator of us all and you love us all. But the privilege to call you Father is for your true children, those who have believed on you. I'm also mindful, Father, that there's those listening and watching and in the room that the word Father is a difficult word. It's not an easy word. Help us to look at you, Jesus, to see what the Father is like. Because you said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so where our earthly fathers have been absent, where our earthly fathers have failed, help us to embrace the good that they did, but to look past their failings. Help us not to put the sin that they've done towards us onto you. So I want to acknowledge that you are a good father. And I want to know the father as Jesus knew you too. So help me, Lord, for a greater understanding and revelation of you as my father and our father who looks after us. Thank you, Lord, that, and yeah, I want to use the words of Artie Kendall because they're better than my own, that when I pray, you listen to every person that's praying like no one else is praying. So as I'm praying and, and my brothers and sisters here in the church are praying with me, thank you that you personally care and personally hear every prayer I pray. But our Father, you're also our Father in heaven. You're a wonderful and majestic and powerful, and above and beyond us, yet we can call you Father because you're with us. Help me not to be overly familiar with you, but to love you and respect you in the way that you deserve. But Father, I'm also so mindful that I can approach you, Hebrews 4, with boldness and with confidence. And when I approach you in prayer, I can receive mercy and find the grace that I need. So thank you that you're our Father who is in heaven. We also pray this morning and say, hallowed be your name. Lord, I know that that means that you are holy, but that it means more than that. It means that may your name be seen to be holy through us wherever we go as your community of faith, as those who are your children and who believe in you. May your name be treated as holy everywhere in our homes, in our suburbs, in our complexes, in our city. May your name be treated as holy. May your name be held in reverence. And as we, your people, bear your image, and as we reflect who you are, and as we try and show others through our lives who you are, may your name be held in reverence. And whatever frontline space you've placed us, that place you've put us to extend your kingdom and to breed Jesus in those places, May we be salt and light, and may your name be made holy. May we, Father, represent you well. And Father, may your kingdom come. May that which is most important to you. Jesus came, we know Jesus, the Lord, to establish a kingdom. And so may your kingdom come, the kingdom that is most important to you, that pattern of life and how to live that you set and designed since before you even spoke one word into creation. May that kingdom come 
May your realm and your reign be extended through our lives. May it increase. May your future, because the kingdom is coming, Father, we know this. May your future come more in my present and in our present lives, but also in the future. So may your kingdom come, Father, and may that be done by your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father, that you have a will, that you have a plan that is independent of mine, that I can't shape you to my will and my design. You have your own will. Thank you that that will, that plan will come to pass, that it's patterned ideally in heaven, but that we are your agents to bring it onto earth. And so thank you that there's parts of your will that we can know because it's revealed for us in the Bible. There's parts of things that are clear for us, how we must live and what we must believe, that there's your known will. I thank you for that and help us to be better agents to live that. But Father, we also know that there's parts of your will that are secret, that your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our your ways and help us to listen. And when we pray to, to seek you, to know what your specific plans are. But thank you, Lord, that like it says in Ephesians 1, that you have a plan that will work out everything in conformity with the purpose of your will. And that is my prayer for us as a community, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we mirror your purposes and your plans. Help us to make your purposes and plans a priority above our own. Help us to order our lives according to your purposes so that this is not, heaven coming to earth is not just a theoretical construct, but it's a practical lived reality in each of our lives. So Lord, we honor you. Father, we thank you that your name is holy, that it is to be revered. We thank you that your kingdom is coming that your will is gonna be done on earth as it is in heaven. But now, Father, we turn to ourselves and we ask that you give us, not me and not mine, you give us our daily bread. We consider ourselves in this community as one family. Won't you be mind, help me to be mindful of those around me? Help me to be mindful of those that are part of the family of faith and those that aren't. Give us our daily bread. Thank you, Father, that you are interested in our material needs. Thank you that you know what is essential for us for life, not only for food but beyond food, but thank you that we can trust you for our bread, our most basic need, and from there we can trust you for everything else. I want to echo the words of Martin Luther the great reformer who, when he prayed this prayer and he said, this daily bread is about the necessities of life. And so he prayed for a thriving economy, good employment, and just, a just society. May we have a city and a society that has a thriving economy, good employment, and fair justice. Give us our daily bread. And Father, whether we have a salary or not, whether we have an income or not, thank you that you are our provider, that maybe you use our companies and our businesses to pay us, but you are our provider. So would you give us our daily bread, that which we need for today and for tomorrow? Thank you, Lord, that you care for my physical needs and necessities. 
But we also ask, Lord, that you forgive us our debts as we have forgiven, also have forgiven our debtors. And we want to acknowledge, Lord, that we do have a debt to you. We have sinned, we have trespassed, and we have done wrong. Would you forgive us? Thank you for speaking to us through the Apostle John where he said that if we are faithful to forgive us, to confess our sins, you will forgive us. Thank you that this forgiveness is not earned. But Lord, help us also to, as we acknowledge our sinfulness and our humanity, to know that we need to be forgiven because we know we're not perfect. Help us also to recognize that there are others that need to be forgiven because they're not perfect either. And Lord, we acknowledge that people have hurt us. Institutions have hurt us. Situations have hurt us. We want to be a forgiving people. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We acknowledge this morning that we are a forgiven community and we should be a forgiving people. Help us to embrace this place of humility, this posture of humility, that we have been forgiven much, therefore we can forgive others. And lead us, Father, not into temptation. This is such an interesting word that you used here, Jesus. The word in James is translated as testing. So Lord, don't lead us into unnecessary testing unless you know that we're up for it and that we're equal to that trial, to that task. But we do pray also, Lord, that you don't lead us into temptation. Help us to see it coming. Give us eyes to see and a heart to understand, to perceive and to avoid it. Help us to be watchful. Help us not to be tempted to think that we're better than we are and to behave like we're better than. But keep us, as the Apostle James said, that when we're drawn to temptation, it's because of our own sinful desires. It's our own inner wickedness and deceitfulness that draws us to sin. So when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, keep us from ourselves, keep us from our inner evil, keep us from those desires that would entice us away from you. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Lord, as there's fallenness and sinfulness in me, we also know, Father, that there's evil in the world. We know that that evil is embodied in the devil, the evil one. There's evil outside us. Deliver us from that evil. Help us to be agents of light and hope to overcome evil in the world where it's embodied in institutions or people or even by the devil himself. And we thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus as the answer to evil. That evil is overcome. Evil is already defeated. Help us not to see the devil in everything, but help us also not to diminish that he might be working. And so, Lord, help us to recognize evil, to refuse it ground in our lives and in our families and in our spaces, and help us to resist the devil. Because, Father, yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and you deserve all the glory. And so we say, Amen. Amen means so be it. Amen and amen and amen.
And so there's a pattern that Jesus has given us to follow. And I heard prayers starting to arise as I was talking. So you just keep praying. Uh, worship team, if you guys can come up so long. I'm going to teach a bit now. A little bit. There's two interesting things we see in the text for us. One in Matthew 6 and the other one's in Luke 11. Luke 11 is where the same teaching of Jesus is recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's quite interesting that in Matthew 6, straight after this prayer, Jesus goes and he, he says the following. Let's, let's read it together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Just after Jesus said, this is how you should pray, Jesus teaches and he says this. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Strong words. Now we prayed that as part of the prayer. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, who have debts against us, who have sinned against us. Is the more literal, so the way we're used to saying it as well. But it's interesting that if we want to grow in prayer, in Jesus' mind, the Father knows, but if we want to grow in prayer, we cannot harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. And this is, a, I think, an ongoing lifestyle issue. We, forgiveness is so important to Jesus that if you come to pray, make sure there's no unforgiveness in your heart. When you come to pray, make sure there's no bitterness. Forgive others because that will open the windows to pray. It will be like you're praying with an open heaven when you pray without bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. So if you want to grow in prayer, make sure that you forgive as you are forgiven. In Luke, it's a little bit different. When Luke writes it for us, he doesn't talk about this aspect that Jesus mentions of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 11, we're going to read from verse 5 to 10. Straight after teaching on prayer, Luke records that Jesus says this or adds it for us. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has just come to me and I have no food for him. And suppose the one inside answers and says, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. See, they didn't have fences and electric fences and things, you could come to the door. Um, <clears throat> suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, it's because of your shameless audacity, I love the translation of the NIV, it's because of your shameless audacity that he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So if you want to grow in prayer, ask, seek and knock. But ask, let me get that phrase right, with shameless audacity. Don't be scared to ask big. He's a big God. But seek his will as you're asking. Seek God, what is your plan here? What's your will in the situation? Because your will be done, not my will. You supply my needs in your way, not in the way that I decide that they be needed. Because if you keep on knocking, so I don't think it's bad to keep reminding God what you need in prayer. He knows, but sometimes he wants you to just persist and, and knock. Is that okay? So forgive, ask, seek, and knock and follow the pattern of this prayer because always remember you're praying to the good father always remember who you're praying to and I trust that you'll find some help in this pattern in prayer one of the things we've done is 
two things I'd like to do, and then we'll close the service. One is just to inform you of something. Uh, just as we've in, God has spoken to us about the season of prayer, and there's been a bit of a longer process, we have a prayer room. If you go outside the church here and you walk around just kind of behind this corner, we have a prayer room. It's obviously a dedicated place for prayer. But what the team has done in the prayer room is they've actually created a journey for us to go through the Lord's Prayer, to pattern this prayer. So as you come through the doors, you go to the right, there's an arrow in case you forget, and you start, and there's different stations for each of the clauses and the phrases that we've just worked through. So we'd like to invite you to, as you have time in the week or uh, maybe on a Sunday, there's, a, there's an elders' prayer there in 9.30, so before 9.30, if you come to go and come to the prayer room and to do the prayer journey there. And in that journey, there's a pattern you can follow. Uh, I was, had opportunity and privileged on Friday morning to go through it. It was really meaningful, really helpful just to go through the pattern and prayer. So that's something that's available to each of you. But what I also felt to do this morning, just we've looked at prayer, but it's also good to pray. Is that okay? I want us to just create an opportunity and, and the worship team will maybe lead us in a song. But I felt the Lord asked us to pray for our city, for Twane. Can we do that this morning? If we follow this pattern, we pray that God's kingdom is going to come in Twane. That his will and his people and his purposes will be in the right places and will be, uh, come to pass. We want to pray that our city officials would avoid temptation where there's some very real temptation. We want to pray that the schemes of the devil won't come to pass in our city. Can we do that? It's kind of a bit self-serving, but we bring God into the space. Is that all right? So we'll just play some music initially, but can, we, can I invite you to stand and maybe make groups of two or three if you're comfortable, four or five. And won't you use this pattern of prayer that we've just been through and pray for the city? If, you're, if you work for the city of Twiney and you're in a group, won't you just say, I, I'm, I work for the city of Twiney. There's two reasons there. We want to pray for you so that the Lord can use you as light and salt in your front line. And then just so the rest of the people, you don't say too bad stuff because there's someone who works for the city there as well. Is that okay? But can we take a couple of minutes, maybe just five minutes, and we pray for the city? Is that okay? I'll start by just leading us in a prayer. And then if you can pray in groups, and we'll just have some um, music ministry to support us in this space. Father, thank you that you've commanded us to pray for the peace of the city that we're in. And so, Lord, we pray for our city now that every good purpose you have for it would come to pass. Jason, can you maybe put me off in the room and I'll just pray for the online. Father, we want to pray and ask that there would be a provision in our city of daily bread. We pray, Lord, that there would be good employment, a thriving economy and a just society, that the space can be created where people can flourish and where people can grow. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in the city. We pray against the evil schemes and the work of the enemy in our city, where the enemy would bring in things like bribery and corruption, where service delivery does not happen equitably and fairly. We pray against the schemes of the enemy and ask that your kingdom would come. We pray this in Jesus' name. I invite those of you who are praying at home to continue praying, to pray as a family, to pray alone if you're alone or with the people you're with. If you're not resident in the city of Pretoria and city of Twine, won't you pray for your city or your town? Use this pattern prayer 
and pray in Jesus' name. So the Lord bless you and keep you in this week. May his favor rest upon you. And remember, he's for you. Bless you as you go into the week. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you would like prayer for anything, a prayer team, a prayer team will be up front here. Please come forward and we'll love to pray with you. Thank you.